HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. Hey, we're Cloud Control, Control. and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy Monday and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. My co-host, Sophie Schlesinger, is off dancing in Maine for two weeks, so I'm going to be doing the show solo. Um, but uh, today I am continuing our State of Cheese series with uh, a little look at uh, cheese making in West Virginia. Um, so I'm pleased to have on the show today for our first segment, we're going to be talking with Penny Sagawa from Spring Gap Mountain Creamery. And uh, the second segment of our show will feature Terry Clapp from TLC Farm Goat Dairy. Um, if you have questions about this or any other show, email us at info at heritageradionetwork.com and we will do our best to answer your cheesy queries. Um, so I think, uh, Penny, are you with us? This is Penny. Oh, hi. hi. <laughs> Sorry, I think we had a little, <laughs> a little um, volume yeah, There was a little thing. bit of a of communication glitch there. <laughs> We're not even using cell phones. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to well, have thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so you are located, I see, in Paw Paw, West Virginia. That's correct. I love Paw Paws. Um, you know, there aren't any pawpaws that I've found so far in pawpaw. That is so strange. I wonder how the town, <laughs> how the town got its name. Um, I, I assume that there used to be pawpaw trees down by the river. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, but there is a pawpaw tunnel, which is part of this DNO canal um, bike trail. Oh, I see. So it may be that the town was named after the tunnel. I'm not sure. Very, very interesting. Well, um, regardless, the pawpaw made my made my heart warm when I uh, <laughs> when I saw the name. 
Um, so can you tell our listeners how long have you been making cheese in West Virginia and uh, what kind of cheeses do you make? Um, well, we've been making cheese here uh, a year in April, so I guess it's been 15 months. Wow, congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, at this point, we make four different uh, raw cow's milk cheeses. Okay. Um, one of them is called West Virginia Blue because, of course, it's West Virginia. <laughs> um, another one that we make is a Dutch-style Gouda, which is called Jersey Gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we use 100% Jersey cow milk. Mm-hmm. Um, then we make a third, which is uh, a cheddar, um, and we named it after our dog Sophie, so it's called Sophie's Select. <laughs> Very nice. Um, and then the fourth cheese that we make is uh, called Shenandoah Sunrise, and it's a washed rind cheese. Well, that sounds like a really fantastic uh, array of cheeses. Um, what made you decide to do raw milk cheeses versus um, other styles? Um, I'm, sh- I'm assuming, well, raw milk cheeses, obviously, you don't have to buy pasteurizer. So that's, that's an important... Uh, right. That, that was... Um, well, you know, we, we were coming from absolutely no experience cheese making. Mm-hmm. Um, and we initially thought that, you know, we would just make mozzarella and ricotta and, you know, brie and all those fun cheeses that everyone loves. And then we looked into buying a small pasteurizer, and it was prohibitively expensive. It is. It's so, such a um, giant So then thing. we switched over to um, raw milk cheeses, you know, thinking that it would be cheaper just to age them for the required 60 days and sell them that way. But then that, you know, sort of brought up a whole other issue with inventory and storage space and aging and taking care of them. So, you know, in the end, we love doing it, but I'm not sure that, you know, if we had known all the the factors, we might have bitten the bullet and and bought a pasteurizer. And bought a pasteurizer. Yeah. Uh, Well, can you tell our listeners, I I saw on your website that you were um, just mentioning what an undertaking it is to construct a creamery. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you guys learned uh, how you were going to build your cheese plant and uh, maybe some, I don't know, some advice and some some do nots (laughs) for anyone thinking about getting into cheese making? Um, Sure. Well, um, I think one of our biggest pluses here in West Virginia is that, you know, there, there really isn't that much cheese making in West Virginia. So um, the uh, health inspector and the Department of Agriculture guys and all the people that are sort of um, there to help you get your business up and running were really enthusiastic and really helpful as far as answering all our, you know, all our stupid questions and, you know, um, trying to get answers to all these regulatory issues. That's, um, that's really built, great to hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think if we had started, you know, say in Virginia or Maryland or somewhere where there's a much bigger uh, sort of base of cheesemakers, um, we might have been lost in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but this way we really got sort of hands-on, one, one-on-one attention, which was really nice. Um, but we built a, a, a 40 by 40 cheese house on um, our property, and it's just like, you know, 50 yards from the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our c- commute is like two minutes. <laughs> That's always and, a plus. Um, we took a three-day cheese-making course in Vermont. Oh, which, where, um, where did you guys go? At uh, Three Shepherds with Larry and Linda Fillet. Oh, okay. Yep, Absolutely. 
Um, and so they have a small uh, facility, and so we sort of we started out thinking that we were going to build a facility similar to theirs because they also, you know, it's the two of them, and they sort of make cheese together, and it was a, a very sort of intimate space. Um, but with uh, the regulatory requirements in West Virginia, I think Vermont is a little bit um, more easygoing. Yeah, their their regul their regulatory um, sister their uh, inspectors seem to be very uh, and their Department of Agriculture seems to be very friendly towards their cheese making industry. Right, and I think that they sort of they get the difference between a large you know sort of dairy operation kind of thing and a small cheese making facility. Whereas here we we kind of had to follow the 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 federal regulations and the state regulations that applied to these large facilities. So we we kind of um, ended up doing a a building that was a little bit more uh, conventional. Okay. And uh, in terms of conventional, what does that mean in terms of uh, uh, of equipment or layout and stuff like that? Sorry, I was having trouble hearing you. Oh, no, that's fine. I said just in terms of, like, layout and equipment, what does that mean um, in terms of, you know, being more conventional, more like what a large dairy would do? Um, well, so we just have a 40-by-40 uh, 40 40, um, metal building uh, with three rooms that have ev evaporators um, so we can have three different age, uh, humidity and temperature-controlled um, aging areas. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, we were kind of thinking more farmhousey and maybe um, actually um, dynamiting a cave into the hill, you know, sort of your dream <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we wanted to use wood to, to age the cheeses on and all this. We had sort of a, a grand plan, but pretty much all of that got shot down because, you know, you can't use wood, you have to you know, have um, plastic matting. There, there are all these issues that, you know, while, while it would have looked much nicer, we would never have passed an inspection. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a, a sort of learning curve, you know, as the cheese industry in this country matures. I'm, I'm hopeful that some of that stuff will start to change, but I think right, it'll take because, a while. Um, obviously, in Europe, you know, you, you see these small cheese farmstead cheesemakers, and they sort of, you know, do everything as they've done it for hundreds of years, and it seems to work for them. So, yeah, exactly. You know, not everything has to be stainless steel and concrete and all and that. plastic. So. And right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but we do have um, mostly stainless steel and concrete and plastic, so. <sighs> well, little, little by little, right? Right, right. <laughs> Um, well, so uh, where do you guys uh, predominantly sell your cheeses? Do you rely on farmers markets, or do you sell to shops in your area? What's the market for your cheese? Um, well, currently we're only selling at farmers markets. We do five markets a week in the DC area. Wow, that's a lot. Um, well, we uh, we try and um, either split up and, uh, and go to um, two markets on one day or do two markets um, one after the other because it's a two-hour drive from here to the D.C. area. Mm. And, you know, with gas prices the way they are, oh, you yeah, really no. kind of have to sort of finagle some way to, to get out there and sell to our customers but still, um, you know, remain economically viable. So 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And what have you found in the DC market? I'm sure that there are people, I mean, I, I bet the DC market loves your aged raw milk cheeses. Um, um, they do. You know, the, the whole raw milk thing is, um, I guess, really starting to catch on mm-hmm. uh, because people see the raw milk sign and they're just so excited. Although a lot of people want to know if we can provide them with raw milk. Of course, which is... Um, which obviously we can't. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, it really uh, helps to get the conversation started. And, you know, people try the cheese, and we we try and sort of tell them that it, it, it's the way that cheese used to be made uh, and is generally made in Europe. So, you know, it, it's, it's a, sort of a... You have to educate people as far as... It, it tastes different, the texture's different, you know, it's not your everyday supermarket cheese so thank goodness for that yeah. <laughs> so so one year in or 15 months in um uh-huh. where do you see your farm you know progressing to do you guys have uh plans to make other different varieties of cheese or are you gonna um yeah i don't know what's what's next um well first of all uh we'd we'd like to sort of get our cheeses into more local shops, you know, cheese shops and, you know, wine stores and, you know, the, the, the Holy Grail would probably be Whole Foods and that kind of thing. Because with just the two of us, it's really hard to make a living just through farmer's market. Absolutely. Distribution is key. When you can find those good partners, that seems right. to really make a big difference. Um, well, and so uh, what, if people want to learn more about your farm, uh, what, do you guys have a website people can visit? Um, yes, it's uh, springgapmtn.com, um, and it's a very rudimentary website. But we also have a, a Facebook fan page that a friend of ours runs, so it's actually uh, much more informative than our website. <laughs> I know the, the Facebook thing is for real and it is a full-time job in and of itself. It is. And it's you know, great. Um, our friend, friend Kevin, he loves to do that kind of stuff, you know, post stuff and take photos and do all that. So we just sort of let him run with it. And we're so happy that someone else um, is willing to do it for us. I know that, that is like, you guys hit the jackpot. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, unfortunately we're almost out of time on the show, but thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us. Oh, and, thanks um, so much for inviting me. If I'm down in the DC area, I'm definitely going to check out my local farmer's markets to Absolutely. spring gap cheese. <laughs> okay. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain. Shenandoah River Life is old there Older than the trees Younger than the mountains Growing like a breeze Country roads Take me home To the place I Gather round her Minus lady Stranger to blue water Dark and dusty Painted on the sky Mr. Taste of moonshine The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network.
Tune in to Greenhorn Radio, hosted by Severin Von Scharner Fleming, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Greenhorn Radio is radio for young farmers by young farmers. Helmed by acclaimed activist, farmer, and documentarian Severin Fleming, Greenhorn Radio is a weekly phone interview session surveying America's cutting-edge under-40 farmers. Again, that's every Thursday at 2 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. And we are back on Cutting the Curd, though almost reluctantly so. That song is so good. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a Don, I'm a huge John Denver fan. Can you hear the, Terry, can you hear the, the music from your end, or is that only on my uh, end? Yes, I can, yes. And I was really, really impressed there. That uh, just put me right in the mood here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, so um, for the second segment of our show, we're talking with Terry Clapp. Terry is from TLC Farm Goat Dairy in Leroy, West Virginia. Um, so thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Well, um, so tell us a little bit about um, how you got started making cheese in West Virginia. Are you a native West Virginian? Well, no. Um, a lot of people wonder uh, about my accent. I'm originally from Syracuse, New York, and then like all new good New Yorkers, we all moved to Florida once in a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up uh, in Orlando in the uh, 50s, and then um, uh, my wife and I um, uh, moved to um, Port Charlotte, Florida. About um, uh, And 15 years ago, we moved from the Port Charlotte, Florida area up to uh, uh, Ripley, West Virginia area. Our address is in Leroy, but uh, we're right outside of Ripley, believe it or not, West Virginia. <laughs> and uh, so uh, uh, we started, um, a lot of our friends uh, down in Florida, you know, were talking about healthier foods. And I uh, contracted uh, renal cell carcinoma, which is a kidney cancer, back in 1994. And uh, from that, we started looking at uh, healthier ways to, uh, uh, you know, we wanted to gain more knowledge of healthier ways to eat and better nutrition and uh, with the food that we uh, had. And uh, so uh, we wanted to start a healthier alternative, and so we turned to goat milk products, and we thought that would be a great answer, and uh, it sure surely has become a very good answer <laughs> to that. And uh, so we moved uh, up. Uh, we tried to uh, start a dairy in um, down in the southwest Florida area, but the expense was so astronomical that we uh, looked towards uh, Linda's uh, family, which lives up in Canton, Ohio, and uh, because we didn't know where to turn with this cancer, so we wanted to move closer back to her family. So uh, the, an opening was uh, up here at Charleston Area Medical Center in uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and I managed the pathology department there. So uh, we were able to uh, come up here and uh, Linda uh, went from the uh, an accountant with the hospital to uh, starting a goat dairy, grade A goat dairy. So, there you so go. that's how we got started. That's, and, uh, that's very interesting. I always wondered, I think that there's still, and I might be wrong, but I think that there are still no farmstead cheese operations in Florida. And I was wondering if it was a climate issue or was it, but you, the, the expense of the land, that totally makes sense. Right. That and uh, also uh, your veterinary bills will be quite high because of the sandy soils in the southern part of the state. And that's why you see a lot of uh, horse ranches in the in Ocala and the, in the north central area of Florida because the, the uh, soil changes its uh, consistency into more of a clay and uh, dirt uh, type thing other than sand. Uh. And uh, 
so uh, we uh, started uh, looking around up here and uh, in this area and uh, found a lovely farm an 1897 uh, farm that was uh, we're only the third owners of and uh, that was quite interesting and uh, it was partially restored and we finished the restoration of it now and, can I uh, can I ask you what was the farm before you guys bought it was it always a dairy farm or was it uh, no it was um, it was actually a uh, cattle cattle farm uh, with uh, beef cattle and uh, so we turned it around to uh, goat dairy <laughs> and uh, sort of quite a, uh, a change there of venue but uh, it was quite interesting uh, Dr. Ludwig and his two brothers uh, here in this area had uh, bought over 3,000 acres and uh, had divided it up amongst themselves and we bought one of the uh, uh, one of the farms uh, from the brothers and it was quite reduced in size but uh, but we got the home and uh, there's a lot of acreage around and, uh, you know, some of the farms, uh, some of the, uh, you know, barns on the farm there. And uh, so uh, the USDA uh, come out there and, and looked at our facility, our largest barn, and uh, said, well, you know, it's got commercial rafters and a lot of commercial uh, construction to it, so it would make a good uh, dairy facility. So we turned a uh, horse and uh, cow barn into a uh, grade A USDA, grade A FDA-approved uh, facility. <laughs> That is that is absolutely fantastic, and what an undertaking! Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to make that transformation? Uh, yes, um, a lot of the um, purchasing of. Uh of equipment for a goat dairy, as you would imagine, is on a very much smaller scale, mm -hmm. and uh, we had to do a lot of researching to find uh, equipment small enough. Uh, you know, instead of like thousand-gallon bulk tanks, uh, we needed a thirty-gallon. You know, and uh, for a small a farmstead uh, operation, and a, uh, a pasteurizer, we have a uh, twenty-five-gallon pasteurizer and uh, Qualtech pasteurizer from Glengarry Cheesemaking uh, up in uh, Canada. And um, we um, uh, had to do a lot of research to find that. And, uh, and then a lot of the regulations, uh, the uh, state inspectors said, well, you know, you all are the first uh, uh, grade A goat dairy that we've ever had in West Virginia history. Wow. And so we've had some grade B cheese processing plants, but nothing under grade A specifications. So uh, we need your help. So <laughs> we uh, gathered a lot of information and, uh, and we're ready to start uh, and, uh, about six years ago. And uh, we had uh, one thing happen to us. They went from uh, the um, airspace in the pasteurizer, had to have culinary uh, moisture-free steam instead of electric heat. So, uh, and it was one of the last things uh, <laughs> that we had to do. And, you know, there's always a glitch somewhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we checked with Thermostine uh, Steam out in Naperville, Illinois, and uh, they do a... Um, uh, or Thermaclean is what it's called. Uh, uh, Andrew Heller uh, has the company there, and he developed in three months. He developed a culinary steam generator, just our size, a little stainless steel boiler that we can pull around and uh, and go right into the um, uh, clover clamp on the uh, in one of the uh, holes in the uh, pasteurizer, and it uh, puts out thirty ninety seven percent. Uh, moisture-free culinary steam. Wow! And, it, and so uh, steams the uh, surface there, and it's uh, quite a unique thing. And we we were really thankful we could find someone that was that interested and uh, took it on themselves to do all the engineering and uh, just charges for the equipment itself. No, I mean that is like really remarkable. So you said the name it was called ThermoClean. Yeah, ThermoClean in um, in uh, Naperville, Illinois. Thermoclean. My Godfather lives in Naperville, like Illinois. I that is too funny. 
I, I, yeah. I'm from Illinois, and yeah, I've oh. been I've been to that town many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's really something. Uh, Andrew Heller is his name, and his father uh, had a uh, copper smith shop in in uh, Naperville and developed uh, copper uh, boilers. And uh, they went, and he just sort of carried on his uh, father and grandfather's business and uh, started making stainless steel uh, boilers for uh, for uh, commercial um, bakeries. And uh, to steam their breads and different uh, items, and and ended up, uh, uh, he was the man to talk to. I tell you. <laughs> well, it is handy to have people around who know about building stuff and engineering. That is oh, for sure. <laughs> I tell you what, we were, and of course, it was just all new to us. But our neighbors and everyone talked about how wonderful my wife's cheeses were, and uh, and you ought to go commercial and sell that to the public. You know, so uh, uh, I I can't quite tell you exactly how how much that was. But uh, it was quite a bit uh, of money later we are settled down to uh, uh, being able to sell to the public, and we're FDA, USDA certified, and uh, we can still sell to all 50 states and its uh, providences. That, and, uh, that is so cool. And so how big is your herd of uh, Our herd, uh, we're right at 20 goats right now. But uh, So you can imagine it's still a pretty small operation, and uh, we sell out all our products at the Jackson County Farmer's Market in Ripley, West Virginia. That's fantastic. And, uh, and how far is that from your farm? Uh, that's about uh, 12 miles. That is the best. I mean, to yeah. produce it all and sell it all locally, that's like the dream. Everybody wants to do that. <laughs> oh, I tell you, we, we uh, birth the goats. We have a birthing center and nursery, and uh, we actually uh, will birth the goats. Uh, my wife is right there, and myself when I can. Uh, we're right there when we see it's time for them to birth, and we bring them over to the birthing center, and we have a nursery uh, right next to that uh, where we uh, bottle feed all the babies when they come, and, uh, and we take the moms and give them some kale syrup and warm water and uh, get them back on their feet and take them over to milk the cholesterol, you know, at the dairy right mm -hmm. across the road there. And it's all, uh, we have a half mile drive there that's up and it, uh, we're just right across the street from our dairy, our home is. And uh, so it, it's a very convenient way and it's very quiet, very isolated. So <laughs> it makes a nice, uh, uh, a nice atmosphere for us. Absolutely. And, uh, and the girls are all, they, they love being in the hills of West Virginia. They, they love, we have a lot of uh, rocky hillsides and a lot of uh, hilly terrain that they love and, um, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of brush in our different paddocks. So we change our paddocks, of course, every once in a while to, to let them get into the forest area and back into the, uh, uh, you know, the regular pasture areas. And uh, we have our own organic hay field, and we're kosher and, uh, and organic and vegetarian. So it's uh, really... Wow. You've got, <laughs> you've got it all. Of the vegetarian diets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, let so, me ask. Um, I mean, I think, how many cheesemakers are there in West Virginia? Do you... I don't know of any right now that are uh, commercial like we are, um, but because um, we had uh, uh, a... Um, a family down in um, uh, Nicholas County, West Virginia, near the Greenbrier Resort, and uh, they were um, making cheeses uh, several years ago. And I think they closed their facility. I mm -hmm. believe they have done that, and uh, but I haven't heard back from them in a few years. But. Uh, uh, we've, uh, from what I understand from our state and federal inspectors, uh, that we are the only one that they inspect for gro uh, goat uh, products. 
okay. here in West Virginia. Yeah, we had a so. some we had somebody on the show earlier, uh, Cow Dairy um, from uh-huh. uh, Paw West Virginia. But um, yeah, I'm just not too familiar with other cheese making operations there, so I was just right. wondering if yeah, you there may be a few cow um, dairy operations that I'm not too familiar with, and uh, but uh, as but as far as I understand it, we are the only uh, you know a licensed uh, uh, cheese plant for goat for goat products. Well, now I have a question because I was looking at your website before the show and there was a really mouthwatering picture of some sort of a frying cheese. And I was wondering if you could tell me uh, a little bit more about that. Yes, uh, we have a, it's like a mozzarella, it's a farmer's cheese, and um, here in West Virginia, uh, you have to be very careful on how you uh, label your cheeses, because there's, uh, it's not too much understood about the, um, you know, the real technical names of these things, so uh, we have what we call a plain farmer's cheese, and uh, that's like a mozzarella, similar to a mozzarella cheese, and uh we actually can uh, put it, uh, put uh, red pepper in it or uh, jalapeno, or we also smoke it in a cold smoker at 38 degrees for about five minutes and it, with applewood chips. And we found that the applewood chips are very, um, very lightly, it smokes, it's a very light smoke, smoke flavor. You don't feel like you're eating a campfire when you eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's and, it's uh, a tough balance. <laughs> now those, uh, now those cheeses are our firm cheeses. We don't age our cheeses; it's all fresh, and um, so they're all fresh made the week we sell them. And uh, those are the cheeses that you can grill. Now you can put it on a hot Teflon. Uh, you know, coated uh, pan on the stove, and uh, grill it about 30 seconds on a side. Uh, we cut them in small strips, and uh, we sell in half-pound blocks, and you can take those and cut them up into strips and grill them. Or you can put them on a George Foreman grill, and it does the same thing. And uh, it just is really something. You get the little grill marks on it, and uh, <laughs> you may have seen the picture of the uh, browned uh, surface on the cheeses. And, <laughs> looks and delicious. we have people that vehemently say, uh, we hate goat cheese. We don't, uh, we don't like that. I said, well, please try our grilled cheese. Come up here and get it, give it a try. And they taste it fresh, and they say, oh, that's good. And then they taste it grilled, and it's so different. The flavor and the texture is so, so different. It changes quite a bit, especially with our red pepper cheeses. And uh, it's just unbelievable. And the children, uh, <laughs> it's really something. We have families walk by our, our stand there at the market, and, uh, and the children are j- jerking on their parents. Oh, please, I want some of that grilled cheese, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's the way to, it's 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 all about the kids if the kids start eating it that's that's good news for everybody because that's you know. <laughs> exactly what my wife said she says you know when the children like it i think that's our answer yep exactly <laughs> then we have their older farmer friends and folks in our town this is a very small town about uh, 3,800 people and uh they remember they come up and say well i remember when my mother used to make goat cheese back in the 30s or in the 20s and uh and that this tastes just like it you know, and I said, well, thank you very much. And, that is and then when awesome. we churn our ice cream with our 1929 John Deere hit and miss motor, we churn five gallons at a time. We do fresh strawberry, fresh peach, and vanilla. And our recent one from this last week, we started doing peanut butter, fresh peanut butter ice cream. Oh, man, uh, you're making me hungry. <laughs> I know. I just, uh, I told my wife, I said, I could really, really put the weight on if I eat all the profits here. You know? <laughs> well, somebody's got to do quality control, too. That's important. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I tell her, just bring in a, uh, just a few ounces for me to try. You know? <laughs> now, but, 
Well, unfortunately, we're, we're running out of time, but I want yes, to make uh, sure that people know where to find you on the Internet um, so they can learn more about your farm. Um, do you guys have a website that people can go to? Yes, it's www.tlcfarmgoatdairy.com. tlcfarmgoatdairy.com. Excellent. Right. Um, and uh, from there, they can also order. Um, uh, from there, they can go to our regular uh, home uh, site there, TLC Farm Dairy at dishmail.net. All right. And that, that do, do direct you right to it. Excellent. And so you'll, and you'll ship direct. Yes, we can. And uh, we haven't done much of that. We've uh, done a little bit of uh, Florida and Georgia to the relatives down there, but we haven't uh, done too much because uh, we sell everything at the farmer's market. <laughs> and so we would love to encourage people to, on vacation to stop by Almost Heaven, uh, Ripley, West Virginia. I tell you, uh, it, uh, that, sounds, uh, that sounds like a better plan anyways. I'd rather come to the farm than, than just uh, get a box of cheese in the mail, that's for sure. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we would love to. And we'd love to talk to you about our product and, uh, you know, about the wonderful digestion and uh, buffering, of, uh, you know, characteristics it has. And, uh, and it's so excellent for um, just everybody and especially for people on a chemotherapy from cancer and things like that. It digests so much uh, better and quickly, much more quickly, and uh, uh, because the molecular structure is so much smaller than, uh, than other dairy products, cow dairy products and others. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for taking the time to be on the show with us. It's been a real, real pleasure chatting with you. And um, I certainly will stop by next time I'm, I'm driving down your neck of the woods. <laughs> yeah, you just come down I-77 either direction to the Ripley exit, and we'll be there every Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, you All have right. a wonderful rest of the week. And, uh, and everybody else, we'll see you next Monday on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Thank You're you for listening to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Ann Saxelby. Broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. This is behind-the-scenes food news with Katie Kiefer. Removing barriers to better quality locally raised meats is one step further along the process. The Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, or NMPAN, is connecting people across the country with information, tools, and each other. The organization is part of the Cooperative Extension Systems Extension, an internet-based collaborative learning service that consolidates the resources of the land-grant universities. The NMPAM affiliates are now available in almost 40 states and allow the co-coordinators to link people who need help with those who can offer it, such as extension staff members, state departments of agriculture, and markets with experience in small meat processing. They offer webinars, business plans, and hands-on help for processors or wannabe processors. More information is offered at their website, www.nichemeatprocessing.org. This has been behind-the-scenes food news with Katie Kiefer. Finger on the Pulp and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival, August 6th, from noon to 4 p.m. The barbecue is happening at City Winery, located at 155 Varick Street in New York City. Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Mopar, Imperial Number no. 9, Mile End, Mexicu, Kraft, Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, 
Computer Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snacky Tune DJ. VIP and general admission tickets are available at citywinery.com. Finger on the pole for City Winery, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rekha Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub-Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com.